there was an old farmer who uh, was clearing some land, and it was a lot of land for him to clear, and it was a lot of work to clear it. He had his axe and he had his saw, but it was a lot of work. And one day, there was a knock on his door, and uh, he went to answer the door, and there was a salesman standing outside, and he says, I see that you're clearing some land, and I was wondering if I could help. And he says, oh, it's a good thing you're here. I would love some help. He goes, oh, no, no, I'm not that kind of help. I'm, I'm not here to uh, actually help you cut it down, but I can provide you some tools. What, what are you currently using to cut down these trees and cut them up? And he says, well, I've got my, my faithful axe and my saw. And the salesman goes, but you don't have a chainsaw? No, I, I don't have a chainsaw. Oh, well, how much, how long is it taking you to clear all this land? He says, I can do three trees a week. I can cut it down and cut up three trees a week. He says, it's going to take you forever. He says, I know. Well, let me give you this chainsaw because if I give you this chainsaw, you'll be able to do three trees a day. The farmer says, you're kidding me. Three trees a day? Yeah. All right, I'll give it a try. So the salesman leaves him with the chainsaw and he goes away and he comes back a week later and he looks around and he doesn't seem like that much work has been done. And so he knocks on the door and the farmer comes and he answers the door and he says, hey, I'm glad you're back. That, you totally oversold me on this. What do you mean? He said, well, it, it does okay, but it's, there's no way I can do three trees a day with this thing. Really? Is there something wrong with it? Let me, let me see. Let me see that. And the farmer goes, oh, what's that noise? When we don't understand the power of what we have in front of us, it's really hard to have it be effective. That farmer didn't understand the power that was in a chainsaw. And so it's really hard to have it be effective. This morning, we're looking at the power of Christ in us with regard to sin. And I think, I think that for many, as you start to look at this, you're going to have an, oh, what's that noise kind of moment. It seems silly because when you're looking at a chainsaw, who doesn't know how a chainsaw works? Who doesn't know the power that is available in a chainsaw? And then we start talking about the power of God for salvation from sin. And we, who doesn't know that? But I think that as we really look at this, we will discover that we don't fully understand the extent of the power of God. So if you'd turn with me. Uh, to Romans. I, I'm going to start at the end of chapter 5. I know we covered this last week, but I'm, I'm just going to rehearse it for us so that we remember it before we jump into Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 5 in verse 18 says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
is he finishes that up in chapter 5. He's saying, okay, look, we all know that we all sin. We have inherited sin from Adam. Sin is a pervasive problem throughout. But just as sin entered into the world through the one man, so we have grace and righteousness come through Jesus. And now, even though as we are aware of the law and we are aware of the sin, the more the sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now we get to Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, as we start in, in Romans 6, 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we go on sinning if, in fact, God's grace covers all sin? Then shouldn't I just keep right on sinning and let God's grace abound all the more? And we can just see how incredibly gracious God is and we can push that to the limits? In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead, you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, With its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That is awesome news. All of your sin. When you come to Christ and believe in him, all of your sin is nailed to the cross and taken care of. Done. All of it. All of it. That's huge. The little sins, the big sins, the sins with huge consequences, the sins that didn't seem to have any consequences, all of it, nailed with Christ to the cross, forgiven, the debt canceled, all of it cleared away. And Paul's saying, look, if you understand how much this grace is extended to you and how clean that has made you, then you might wonder, wait, do you mean if I continued to sin, that grace, that sin would be forgiven too? Yeah, the grace of God is over that. The forgiveness of Christ comes, that's covered too. How about, how about tomorrow's sin? Is that covered? Yeah. 
Tomorrow's sin would be covered too. All, all of the sin? Yeah. All of the sin. Everything. It's completely covered, all of it. Now, when you give somebody that kind of information, and they do one of two things with it. They go, Whew, I am so glad that that is gone. Or, they go, Sweet! I can do whatever I want! And God doesn't care! I've seen this with kids. The kid comes, they've done something wrong, mom or dad takes a look at the situation and goes, it's okay. The kid goes, no, but you don't understand. I, I, I know, I know. It's okay. It's okay. But I totally thought you were going to be mad and that there were going to be all kinds of consequences and all of, I, I know. I know. But I love you. And it's okay. It's okay. There are not going to be any consequences for that sin. And sometimes the kid go, oh, thank you, I so didn't want to tell you about it, but thank you so much. And other times the kid's, kid goes, huh. Let me test the extent of this. How far does this permissiveness extend? What all can I get away with? And then begin to push and test. Is this, is this okay? How about this? I know you don't like it, but, but are we still going to be okay? You're going to forgive me, right? Oh yeah, I'm going to forgive you because I'm your dad and I love you and it's okay. Well, what about this one then? I'm just going to keep on testing until I find the outer limits of that. And what this verse is saying is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Should we just continue? God has forgiven us, and that's all we really cared about, right? We had this sin problem, this issue that made us feel kind of yucky because we did these things that we don't really like that we did. But now, God made it so that we don't feel yucky anymore. Now I can do these things and I don't have to feel bad about it because I already know I'm forgiven. That's pretty cool. It's like having a credit card that you never have to pay off. Except that it's a sin card. So instead of racking up credit or that kind of debt, I'm racking up sin debt. But God just covers all of that because His love is infinite and the sacrifice of Jesus covers all of that. And so I can just do whatever and God's love continues. So what shall we say then? Are we to just continue in sin that grace might abound all the more? And we can say, look at how permissive and tolerant and loving and gracious God is. Verse 2 starts like this. Heck no! Oh, not, not exactly. By no means. In no way. Absolutely not. That is not what that means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? How can we, who died to sin, still live in sin? 
You've heard somebody say, they're dead to me. They're dead to me. It is as though they are not there anymore. He's saying the same thing is true of sin. That when we have the forgiveness of Christ and have been made righteous and all of the sin has been removed and we've been forgiven of all of that, then it is now as though sin is dead to us. It's not there anymore. We don't relate to it anymore. It doesn't have any authority over us. It doesn't have any control over us. It doesn't have any sway with us anymore. It's just gone. It's done. It's dead to me. I'm dead to it. Me and sin are not a thing anymore. I don't relate to that. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And this is where we start to have some challenges, right? Because I know I do still sin. It is still, I am still tempted to sin. Have I really died to sin? Is it really dead to me? I'd like to think that, that God forgave me and now the sin is gone and now I have no temptations anymore and I don't sin anymore. I would like to think that. And if, in fact, I was completely dead to sin, then wouldn't that be the case? But the reality is, it doesn't feel that way. Because sin is a problem still. There are still sins in my life. I'm still tempted to sin. How does this work? Are we sure that we are completely dead to sin? And he says, don't, don't you know, verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is why we highlight baptism so much. As one of the first steps of following Christ, a, a, a way of demonstrating publicly, I have made a decision in my life that I believe in Jesus and that His sin, uh, that, that His uh, grace and His sacrifice covers my sin, and so I am being baptized to demonstrate that I identify with Him. There has been a change, a transformation in my life, and Paul assumes this. Do you not know? It, it, have you not believed? and then been baptized into Christ. If you have, then you were baptized into His death. That's what the baptism is for. They, they take you, and they put you down into the water. Just like Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He died in our place, He was taken down from the cross, and He was put down into the grave. And so when we as believers say, yes, I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection had something to do for me. It had personal impact for me. And I want to demonstrate that physically by being baptized, that I identify with Him. I am identifying with Jesus' death. And just as He was buried in the ground, I am buried under the water. His death is now my death. 
Because the consequences of sin is death. That's how we can be set free from it. That's how we can be forgiven of it. All the way back at the beginning, before Adam sinned, God told him, in the day that you eat of that tree, if you disobey me and eat from that tree, you will surely die. The consequences of sin is death. We all sin. We all deserve those consequences. But we believe that Jesus said, I will die in their place. I will die in their place. And so when he died, he died for us. And we now identify with his death and say, I know that even though I have sin and I owe death, Jesus has already paid the debt of death. Jesus' death is my death. And so then through baptism, we are being plunged under the water, buried with him. And we are saying, I am now baptized into Christ a new place of living, a new way of living into Christ with Him through baptism. That is, I am being identified with His death. And the reason for that, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too are raised to newness of life. Which is why we get to come back out of the water after we've been buried in baptism. We don't just identify with his death, but then we identify with his resurrection as well. So we get put down into the water and brought back up out of the water, identifying with him. Yep, his death is my death. His new life is my new life. I have a new life in Christ. And so if I have died, right, if I have died with him then how can I still be alive to sin? I died to sin. That's what verse 3 said. Do you, uh, or verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Because we were ba- baptized with Him, so we have already died. The, the consequences of our sin have already been paid for in death, and so we no longer owe that, and we have been raised to new life with Him. We... Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Both buried and raised to a new kind of life. If you remember back last week and the week before as we were talking about these two categories of Adam and of Christ... And as in Adam all have sinned, so in Christ all are given the opportunity to have justification and grace through his sacrifice. And so we have these two categories. We can be in the category of Adam, the domain of darkness, the kingdom of sin, or we can be in the kingdom of Christ, 
the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, justified and righteous. And when you are in Adam, then you are walking in sin and you are walking in separation from God and the things that you do are influenced by that. But when you're walking in Christ, it's a different kind of life. It's a new kind of life. One that doesn't have anything to do with sin. Because it's looking to the power and the glory of God. And so we say, oh, that, that's done. That was, that was before. But that's not me. I'm dead to sin. That's over. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at these, look at these with words. We were buried... Therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, for we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection with like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. It's with him. It's with him. It's with him. It's with him. We are connected to Christ intimately because we believe that his death and resurrection is our death and resurrection with respect to sin. It's done. It's taken care of. It's over. So then if we go back to our first question, what does that mean then? Should we continue sinning? Well, no. No. Of course not. And I think that many people in the church would go, duh. Of course not. Of course not, I'm not, I'm not supposed to indulge in sin so that God's grace may abound more and more. I'm not supposed to do that stuff anymore. But I think there are many people in the church who are still under the mindset that it's an indulging in sin that doesn't happen anymore. But there are still parts of me that sin is always just there and we accept that as if it's okay. That can't be okay. Let me, let me try and explain what I mean. I think that when we're in the church and we see that, you know, people who steal stuff and take stuff for their own, that's not okay. Right? That's an indulgent kind of sin. It's a very obvious, overt kind of sin. That you would be taking somebody else's stuff for your own. That you would be so selfish, so greedy, that you would steal someone else's things and that you would take them for your own. That's not okay. We understand that we cannot do that and just have God's grace cover that, cover that, cover that, and that would be all right. But we do have stuff that we just put up with in us. That we think, this isn't that big of a deal. It's not really a sin that God cares about. It might be something like coveting. You know, if I was to steal, God would care about that. That's a big sin. But coveting, that, that's, that's just a small thing. I can look at it and wish I had it, want it, desire it, dream about it, lust after it, I'm just not going to act on it. 
it's fine. No big deal. Or things that are even more subtle, like anger. Oh, well, you know, it's just who I am. It's just part of who I am. It's my personality. I, I got it from my dad. My dad was kind of an angry person. Random outbursts of rage. And I don't, I don't random outburst of rage. Mine are on purpose. Mine have a cause. They have a reason. I only get mad. I only fly off the handle if there's been significant and sufficient prompting by them. But then, watch it. You don't want to be on my bad side. That's, that's just who I am. That's just who you are? So you're just going to continue on sinning that the grace of God may abound more and more? Is that really okay? Because it's just part of who you are? Are you still claiming that identity that was before death and resurrection? As though this is a small sin or the, the kind of thing that, that God either can't or won't take care of? Well, Travis, we're never going to be perfect this side of heaven. I'm not saying that we're going to be perfect this side of heaven. What I'm saying is that we should have the expectation that God's power can cover even the insipid sins that pervade us and have been with us for so long that we feel like they're part of who we are and our personalities. Yeah, well, I'm not an angry person. I, I, I'm not that kind of temperament. Are you a worrier? Very anxious? Concerned? Always afraid of what might happen? Not trusting in the power of God? Not pr- trusting in the provision of God? But just worried about what's going to happen next? Worried about your health? Worried about your finances? Worried about relationships? Worried about your children? Well, yeah, but I, that, I mean, that's just who I am. I, I've always been a worrier. So should we just continue on in sin so that the grace of God may abound more and more? You see, I don't think that we will ever be perfect this side of heaven. But I do think that the power of God can reach every part of our lives. That there is no sin that is too much a part of us that God could not remove it. Because we are dead to sin. We have been united with Christ. 
And if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like, the, like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It has no hold on us anymore. Even those personality things, those things that we inherited from our parents, those things that, that just go with us over and over again and we struggle with day after day after day and week after week after week, even those have no hold or authority on us anymore so that we would, might no longer be enslaved to sin because the one who has died has been set free from sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin because we have died with Christ. We claim His death and resurrection. And so the sin is gone. Not just the forgiveness of the sin, that is not just the, the debt that we owe for the sins that we have done, but even the very hold of sin on us is removed. Well, then why do I keep on sinning? Because we haven't committed to the way of Christ. There is something about it that we are holding on to and saying, this is still a part of me and we're refusing to let it go. I want God to have all of me except this part I'm not quite ready to release yet because that's really who I am. We're going to be talking more about this in the weeks to come. But I want to read a couple more scriptures for you to help you see that this is not just in one place. It's not just here in Romans 6, but in 1 John chapter uh, 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Again, in First John chapter 5, it says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we who are in him and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And again in, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Because we have died with Christ to sin and have been raised to a new kind of life with Christ. One in the glory of God, one in righteousness, one in hope of the things that are eternal. And sin no longer has authority over us. It no longer has hold over us. And we will continue to sin. But let us not give ourselves over to it. Whether the indulgent kind or the kind that is the insipid, besetting sins that stay with us. And as I said, over the next few weeks, we will continue to look at this and see how does this happen and how can we get rid of those sins. But for this week, what I would love for us to do is to identify those sins. What are the sins that stick with us that we have not let go of? What are the sins that we don't even think about as being sin anymore? Or that we have given up hope would ever be removed? Or that we have claimed as our identity and part of who we are. And let's reflect on that this week and confess that to God and say, God, this is a place that has been in me for a long time. And I want you to take it away. This morning we get to celebrate communion. And as uh, in baptism, we are identifying ourselves with Christ for a first time for, with his death and resurrection. Uh, so in communion, we are again identifying with him and we are remembering the power of his death and resurrection for us. And so as we do this this morning, I want you to both uh, remember his death and resurrection as it pertains to his forgiveness for the sins that you have done. But I also want you to remember the power of God. That you have been set free from the reign of sin. So that it may not be, it may not have hold on you anymore. And we'll do this together. Uh, The worship team is going to come up and they're going to lead us in the next song. During that song, there's a table in the back and one in the front. Um, And if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to take part in this with us. If that's not where you're at this morning, then I would encourage you just um, think about the words of the songs. Think about uh, the things that come from uh, Romans having to do with sin. And I would love to talk with you afterwards about this. After the next song, then I will come back up and we will uh, take this together to remember the work that Christ has done. Now let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, from the beginning, your purpose was that we might walk in purity and righteousness and in fellowship with you. And nearly from the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered the world and has separated us from you.
But now, Christ has come. He has died the death that we deserved and risen again to new life. That when we believe in Him, we might die with Him and be raised with Him also to new life. And so, Father, we pray this morning would You make real for us the power that You have over sin. That Christ has really done away with it. That we might believe that you have not only forgiven us, but that you will remove the effects of sin from within us. And that there is no sin that you cannot remove. Because there is no sin that has not been covered by the blood of Christ. So, Lord, we ask that you would remind us of that as we rejoice in him. Amen.